BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Previously on the Paranorm Girl podcast, the answer to the mystery of crop circles is out there. A lot of theories as to their cause were thrown into the ring, including it being the devil's doing, fairies, geometrically gifted and coordinated crows, interference from mobile phones, wind vortices, and even sex-crazed hedgehogs, because fanatic skepticism knows no bounds. A scientist who specialized in plant analysis named Dr. W.C. Levengood requested to be sent samples from circle sites in 1991. What he found was pretty incredible. He was able to test his theory and got similar results by microwaving some of the samples. There is that radiation connection cropping up yet again. Doug Bauer and Dave Chorley, two men in their 60s, came forward with an incredible claim. There was more to Doug and Dave's story and parts of it that are sus like being able to jump anywhere from 11 to 35 feet between features in some of the formations they claimed were theirs. Their explanation? They pole vaulted. The Brits are built different, I suppose. Before we can understand the CIA's alleged involvement, we need to go back. We need to talk about the disinformation campaign which began before Doug and Dave, but they, whether knowingly or unknowingly, would end up playing a part in. Anyone who wasn't buying the wind theory wanted answers to questions like, who were these mysterious circle makers? Why were they creating them? Were these messages from outer space? And can Terence Meaden explain the wind thing one more time, not quite getting it? Over the course of the operation, numerous anomalous lights would be witnessed at night and photos would be taken of unidentified and very strange looking objects during the day a police officer drove by to inform them that a new formation had just appeared in the field east of their site, just 500 yards away from the spot that George Wingfield had requested a circle be made for them the night before. Their celebration and excitement over the highly strange experiences would be short-lived. Disinformation was on the horizon. The following year, a second surveillance operation was launched. Operation Blackbird.
Welcome back to the Paranorm Girl Podcast. I am your host, Kristen. Picking up right where we left off. Operation Blackbird was co-funded by the BBC and Nippon Television out of Japan. And this time, Colin Andrews and Pat Delgado, along with other researchers and scientists, were to stake out for three weeks at the historic fort at Bratton. Numerous crop circles had already previously appeared in the plains around it, so it was thought it was the perfect site to capture evidence. Sat just behind the fort was the Salisbury Plain, which was a largely sealed-off military testing site. Even though the publicly held stance of the British government and the army on crop circles was that they didn't have anything to do with them, had no interest, there was nothing to them, they were fake and hoaxes and results of wind theory, and the army had better things to do with their time— For some reason, it somehow made sense that the military should be involved on this one. Off-duty soldiers would be assigned to man an adjacent hill with night vision equipment. The first night went by without anything of note taking place. The following night was a different story. Upon first light the following morning, a formation could be seen less than a mile from the fort, and Colin and Pat, who had had the night off, were called in to look at the overnight footage and make an announcement. In his interview with John King for the book Cosmic Top Secret, Andrews would say that upon the initial arrival for Operation Blackbird, in a confidential meeting with military personnel, he was informed that he would receive their assistance of personnel and equipment in return for his cooperation. So, in the early hours of the morning that the formation was spotted, he was called to the site, and when pressured to make an announcement of the discovery before even getting a chance to physically look at it, he did just that. He cooperated. Colin says it was pitch black. He couldn't see anything. He made the announcement based on what was told to him. Well, we do have a major event here. This is Colin Andrews. I'm sparing you all my butchering of the British accent right now. Very much excitement, as you can imagine. Two major ground markings have appeared in front of all the surveillance equipment performing absolutely to form for us. We had a situation at approximately 3.30 a.m. this morning. On the monitor, a number of orange lights taking the form of a triangle. It's a complex situation, and we are actually analyzing it at this very moment, but there is undoubtedly something here for science. And when asked by BBC newscaster Nicholas Witchell if Colin was sure that he couldn't be the victim of some elaborate hoax, Colin unfortunately responded, No, not indeed. We have high-quality equipment here, and we have indeed secured on high-quality equipment a major event. We do have something of great, great significance. We have everything on film, and we do have, as I say, a formed object over the field. He fully realized his error as soon as he and Pat, for the first time, approached the formation with television cameras in tow. As soon as he actually set eyes on it, Colin knew the formation was a hoax. Not only was the circle itself abnormal, missing any hallmark swirls or precision in outer walls and lines, but the plants were all broken and damaged. The cherry on top of this game of clue come to life were the not one, 
but six astrology board games, six wooden crosses, and a piece of rope left lying behind in the formations. Though a child could have seen this for what it was had they only been given a chance to see it first, the damage was pretty quickly done. Colin and Pat had been deceived into claiming a hoax was the proof in the pudding for crop circles. They were made to look very foolish. And this ordeal would be broadcast to 50 million viewers across the nation that day. Just 10 days later, quick motion in the wheat lasting for a mere 15 seconds was picked up on a night vision camera, and a large swirling formation would be discovered the following morning in the exact spot the motion had been captured, which would have been incredible to have broadcast to the public instead. But alas, following the initial fallout 10 days before, the media and many of the researchers had already gone home, satisfied with their smoking gun, trampled crops, and board games. And the organizers and sponsors for Operation Blackbird would make no public announcement about the new formation. They weren't gonna touch it with a 10-foot pole at that point. The only recording they actually got of the forming of a crop circle sans human involvement during the entire operation, and nobody would touch it. Today's continuation of this crop circle deep dive is sponsored by Manscaped. Summer's coming. Fellas, are you ready to unveil your beach bod? Our friends at Manscaped are here to ensure your body is ready for the wild with their game-changing grooming and hygiene products. Don't be the guy at the beach with Austin Powers' chest hair. And if you got a little winter dad bod, that's okay, you guys. You can still be the best-smelling and most well-groomed guy on the beach. It is time to get ready for hot boy summer by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with the code PNG. Something that flies under the radar when thinking about your beach bod are your feet. You're walking around in flip-flops, you're prancing around in your bathing suit. Your feet carry you through life, dudes, and it's not hard for them to start looking like it. The Manscaped Shears 2.0 Nail Kit includes nail clippers, tweezers, nail file, grooming scissors, and they're all packaged neatly in a stylish and compact PU leather storage case. I am sincerely a fan of their nail clippers. I threw away all of my original clippers because there just is no comparison. These are the best nail clippers I have used by far. So mind them toes, show them some love, and get 20% off plus free shipping with the code PNG at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with the code PNG at manscaped.com. Having the right tools for grooming is essential. Do yourself a favor and upgrade your self-care. There has been some debate on who could have been responsible for perpetrating the Bratton hoax. Colin and Pat at one time believed the band KLF to be responsible. As crazy as that sounds, they thought they had good reason, and there is a lot more to that story, but because Colin eventually moved on to another possibility, let us move on and just cut to the chase. It was the military. Well, they're higher-ups. Well, the higher-ups bosses. Well, someone higher than that. Sounds sus, I know, but it is convincing for a few reasons. First off, the location the operation took place was military land. It was a highly secure location 
with not a lot of possibility that some Yahoo was just going to sneak onto the field while under intense 24-hour surveillance, so right in the line of sight of everyone, military personnel and researchers, bypassing all security measures to begin with, lugging their crop-stomping tools and, and, and it's likely additional people because it's estimated that the Bratton Castle formation had to have taken only about an hour to make, and then also get out, all undetected. So... That points a solid finger at someone in the know-how of the land, the operation, and the limitations and parameters of the equipment they would be using to be able to evade and stay just out of sight so as not to get picked up. Hmm. Interesting as well, according to Secrets in the Fields by Freddie Silva, the off-duty soldiers who had been assigned to be on watch for the operation that night the night that both Colin and Pat coincidentally were off, were conspicuously absent from their post. And two, in an article published by fellow researcher George Wingfield, he writes that a week following the Bratton hoax, he received a call from a friend who had a reliable contact who was in a senior military position. This senior-level person had supplied sensitive info in the past to George's friend that had proven to be valid and had recently revealed to his friend something very interesting. The Bratton hoax had indeed been a setup. The operation had been carefully planned, practiced in advance, and then executed swiftly and precisely in total darkness at short notice. Short notice like... Hey, the two crop geeks just hit the hay. It's go time. Like that? Like, is that like short notice? Is that what we're talking about? Um, it had been ordered from a high level in the MOD and carried out by a specially trained detachment of the Army. It was Wingfield's opinion that this possibility made the most sense. Crop circle hysteria had reached an all-time high in 1990 prior to Operation Blackbird. Quoting from his article, he said... The exhilaration in response to the constant formations was tangible, and yet the government stayed very quiet on the matter. George's thought is that this situation had to be diffused, and the best way of doing this was to make the populace believe that the circles were no more than elaborate hoaxes. To do this, an elaborate hoax had to be executed, which appeared the equal of the real phenomenon, and yet could still be seen as a hoax. Thus, the painfully blatant additions of the board games and crosses. But the public was never going to hear any of this. The media sure as heck wasn't going to print any of it. The Bratton incident was rough for those dedicated to studying the phenomenon that they knew there was more to. And for a while, the world went back to business as usual. But... Thanks to the ever-increasing complexity and evolutions, in addition to the rising numbers of circles that formed over the year that followed, circle fever was becoming reinvigorated by mid-1991. And then, conveniently, Doug and Dave were unleashed, I'm sorry, voluntarily and of their own volition, unleashed themselves unto the world. Their involvement in the further discrediting of anyone still claiming at that point to be a serious researcher of the phenomenon helped lead to the end of the road for Pat Delgado. 
Colin Andrews would leave England, relocating himself and his family to Connecticut in order to continue researching and living in peace. There's more on that in just a moment. Other researchers who had been involved with the early work with Pat and Colin had all in one way or another been deceived and harassed, smeared, accused, and humiliated out of the public eye. Pat Delgado was last man standing. The reporter who brought you the smashing hit, The Two Men Who Conned the World, was named Graham Bro. And Bro felt like he was the man for the job to take Pat down. He invited Pat to examine a new circle in Kent one evening and asked for Pat's opinion. In the dusky light, upon first looks, Pat would say it was well-formed and appeared at first sight to be genuine. Bro would be like, yep, cool, and take off, leaving Pat to conduct further analysis, upon which he felt less certain about the formation's validity after running some tests. Bro would later show up at Pat's house with Doug and Dave, who claimed they were responsible for the crop circle that Pat had just said was real. In his defense, Pat would say to Bro, if this was a hoax, then it is another case of some of the people being fooled some of the time. Do not forget that in many different subjects throughout history, experts have been fooled and will probably continue to be so. In a worldwide press release, Bro reported that Pat had stated that all crop circles were hoaxes, a damaging twist of what was actually said, but heard loud and clear around the world. Following this, Pat was understandably humiliated, frustrated, hurt, and he was done. He removed himself from the public arena to continue his research privately for the remainder of his life. Following White Crow, how did things go so awry so quickly? What happened or went into action between White Crow and Blackbird that turned everything on its head? Colin and Pat and the rest of their team, from everything that I have read, seem to be genuinely trying to find logical, sound, and scientific grounds to explain a phenomenon that up until a certain point, everyone was more than willing to accept was both anomalous and still something that could be explained. Maybe Wingfield was right about diffusing the hype, getting people back in order. My other thought was, perhaps it had to do with that anomalous side to it, because there was an anomalous side to these formations. Maybe that made someone in power just too uncomfortable. Not talking about the features and designs, but the unusual effects these formations were having. They had some weird effects on animals. Colin's dog got sick when it got too close to one. Uh, there were reports of deceased animals found right in the middle of some. Flocks of geese reportedly splitting in order to avoid flying right over them. And other effects on our physical world include electrical malfunction of equipment, watches just stopping, and magnetic disturbances. But there's also anomalous effects of a more spiritual and paranormal nature reported. Synchronistic events that would take place, the sourceless 
electronic trilling and humming noises many people heard, the increasing amounts of unidentifiable lights and objects in the sky flying above new formations, claims of miraculous healings, experiencers reporting a sense of peace and calm when inside of one, witnesses reported feeling mesmerized and a sense of connection with the circles, an innate understanding that there was something more to this phenomenon and a compulsion toward them as if being called to it. And that was Colin Andrews' experience when he first laid eyes on his first formation in 1983. He says he was transfixed by the symmetry of the five perfect circles and the lack of tracks leading to or from the formation he was seeing out the driver's side window of his car. He felt compelled to pull out of the rush hour traffic to the side of the road. Late for a meeting, dressed in suit and tie, he would climb out of his car, being the only person to stop out of the thousands of people who had driven by it that day and the only one to walk into the field to investigate it. He'd never seen one before. He he might have heard of them, sure, but at the time, he was working as an electrical engineer for the local government. Analytical and straightforward type of position. I wouldn't suspect a flighty person and on a whim kind of person. I don't know many engineers personally, but there is certainly an assumption to be made about the types of people attracted to such a career. And who knew this 30-year-old something dude in his suit and tie late for a meeting standing out in some farmer's field staring at the perfect formation surrounding him that day would become the leading voice on crop circles. I'm sure he least expected that future. And he would go on to make some incredible discoveries. Uh, He would be trashed and discredited publicly while also being hounded for his invaluable collection of data and would ultimately, as he has claimed, be harassed and threatened by the government to do their bidding. While other researchers were falling around him like dominoes due to the disinformation campaign, Collins says that he became more and more resolute about the phenomenon. He stayed the course for a very long time because, quite simply, he couldn't not. He had had personal confirmation that there was something more to the phenomenon, that there was an intelligent interaction taking place. He tells John King in their interview about lying in bed one night and mentally asking for a very specific design of a crop circle, something special to him and for it to be close to his house. Those were the two things. He received a call the very next morning from a local farmer pretty close to his home saying there was a new one. Colin rushes over to investigate, and wouldn't you know it, the exact design he asked for, which he had chosen because he hadn't seen it anywhere else. And this was it. Exactly. He would also realize, though the field wasn't directly adjacent to his home, it was indeed the closest field to his house that had yet to be harvested. That kind of synchronistic intelligence has been more common than most people realize and has also been seen on a large scale. The C-SETI logo is designed after a crop circle. A group of them one night visualized it together and asked the intelligence in the ether to make it for them. And then it appeared in a nearby field the next morning. Members said it was exactly what they had projected the night before. Fun crop circle trivia for you. But... What do you do in the face of doubt 
when you know something to be true, for a fact, you know it to be true even if you cannot explain it. You carry on and keep trying to figure it out, and you continue to show others your findings, make them see how it is possible and what it could mean for everyone. And that, in a nutshell, is what Colin attempted to do. In a way, he truly would be the last man standing when he finally settled up and stepped back from the field after 36 years. We're not there yet. We are still in the early 90s when the CIA allegedly made its presence and interest known to Mr. Andrews. The following information comes from Collins' interview with John King. According to Collins' recounting, it looks like the CIA had been involved, at the very least, since the days of Operation Blackbird. Colin was able to verify this connection for himself later on, putting two and two together and realizing his phone had been tapped. Also, he was approached by someone claiming to work for the CIA who told him he'd been assigned to Colin to buy him into the plan. The plan being to delegitimize all of the active crop circle researchers save Colin. And that did happen. They were wanting to eliminate all these voices from the public arena, and once that was done, wanted Colin to continue on publicly with his research until, at a time of their choosing, he would be asked to do a maximum coverage interview, reaching as many people as possible, and during that interview, he was to state publicly that the entire crop circle phenomenon was a hoax. In return, he would be set up with a Swiss bank account with enough money to live comfortably for the rest of his life. He would be offered access to incredibly high-tech equipment, education, and a lot of tools and knowledge that probably would have helped him out quite a bit with the mystery early on in his research. Because they didn't actually want him to stop researching, they just wanted him to do it for them, alone. They wanted him as their asset. That's what it sounds like anyway. After the meeting with the man from the CIA and hearing all that he had to divulge, Collins says that he was terrified. He says he spent some time dodging phone calls from this guy who, based on the voicemails Colin describes, was getting pretty frustrated there at the end with Colin's lack of response and enthusiasm to team up. He called Britain's Ministry of Defense at one point to report this was going on and to get their help and was told that they couldn't do anything. It was out of their jurisdiction. And not too long after, Colin relocated with his family to America. He claims that while nothing so bold happened as what took place with the agent in England, after relocating, he had been approached several times by people he believed to be with the CIA or, just like they wanted to make him, assets of the CIA. One that he named was an incredibly well-known researcher and author in the paranormal field. I will link the transcript of the John King interview in the notes if you want to know who that was. And it's totally up to you if you choose to believe this story or not. I know the whole story is a tough pill to swallow looking from the outside in, but it can only be one of a couple of things here. Either all of the people who approached Colin were nuts and he misunderstood who they were, or he is a liar who made it all up but never changed his story, or the disinformation and cloak-and-dagger attempts were a real occurrence perpetrated by those in power because... Why? 
What was it about crop circles they didn't want the public to know, but needed to know themselves? And here is where we enter the final chapter. This was the moment in researching that I was like, okay, I I think I really got it now. I, I got the whole story and then was like, wait, what? The final conclusion of the man who coined the term crop circle and studied this phenomenon for 36 years is that most of them are man-made, like 80% of them. Skeptics, take a drink, and then take another, because there's more to the story, of course. Doug used to say to me sometimes while we were out and we'd just done one, why do we do it? And we could never explain that certain thing. And Doug used to say, do you think there's something that makes us? And that did and still does really get to us. Were we being told, almost, to go out and do them? That is a quote from an interview conducted with Dave Bauer and Doug Chorley in Crop Circle Apocalypse by John McNish. It was understood by crop circle researchers, even at the height of the frenzy, that some of them were likely being made by people. The 100% believer was out there, though they were a minority. Another camp were people who just couldn't believe that a certain level of elaborateness and precision could possibly be man-made, especially taking into account any anomalous phenomena that would be associated with many circles. But yeah, sure, the crappy ones must have been made by people. And then there are those who were more than willing to accept that hoaxing was a bigger part of it to an extent, even if it was elaborate or perfect. But it surely wasn't all of them, though. What this should make clear is that, though the qualifying goalpost moved, there was a distinct line being drawn. And this line is still applied to this day between formations considered genuine and then anything man-made which is considered illegitimate. The focus for researchers had become designating real circles from hoaxed. And how do we tell the difference? Fake being anything made by a human, and real being the most important mystery of all, right? As the proving of such would make the whole phenomenon real. Colin has stated in interviews and goes into great detail on this in his book, On the Edge of Reality, that he, like many other researchers of the time were asking the wrong question. He reveals that researchers did find hoaxers' tools and equipment left behind in some of the formations, but didn't necessarily release this information to the public because they couldn't be entirely convinced after the disinformation and attempts at distortion that they had already seen that in an otherwise real appearing circle that the contraband hadn't been planted to further distort and confuse. He says that the crux of the researcher's main problem when looking at crop circles in this way was the inconsideration of those clues and the lack of context when so blinded by the real versus unreal mentality that no one could consider that man-made circles could actually help explain the phenomenon and support an answer to the mystery once and for all. Colin would conduct a two-year study in 1999 and 2000, 
A focus of this work was aimed at understanding the prevalence of hoaxing in the formations with a different approach than researchers had taken in the past. He proceeded under the assumption that people were making them, and he was determined to find out how. How were they doing it? How were they getting away undetected? With the setting aside of any bias he held and opening his eyes to that possibility, he assessed all new circles that were reported in England over the course of the study and arrived at the realization that 80% of them were made by humans, while 20% remained entirely unexplained. And following the release of this report, he unsurprisingly was not made to feel very good about his findings from his fellow researchers in the crop circle community. His findings were denounced, and he was even accused of having finally accepted that offer from the CIA. I'm sure that could not have felt good, coming from people who supposedly were in it for the truth. But hey, nobody likes their idea of reality being rocked. Colin stuck to his guns with these findings, however, with one problem that still needed to be worked out those pesky, anomalous occurrences and experiences that took place in and around the formations, of which he himself had personal experiences with. He couldn't deny that aspect of what he knew to be true about them. While accepting that paranormal experiences only occur with the remaining unexplained 20% would have made sense, He had long since documented numerous instances of them having occurred in man-made circles as well. He realized that the debate between real versus non-real circles was irrelevant. Again, they had been asking the wrong question, looking at the phenomenon from a limited context. Instead, he concluded that man-made circles could be real. Realizing that both concepts, real and man-made, equally caused high strangeness and paranormal experiences in people. Remember, lights in the sky, the strange humming, magnetic disturbances, feelings of inner peace and spiritual connection, etc., etc. These had also been reported in man-made, too. He was led to something that is either going to seem so stupid and mundane and just, oh, so convenient to you, or... It's going to make your mind start to go, as it did me. The answer was human consciousness and its power to create and influence reality, its connection to something greater and non-ordinary that guides people's actions and experiences, its co-creation with something non-human, something intelligent. He reached this conclusion in part by extending the olive branch to the other side. Those who had for so long been the villainous deceivers of his own story for decades. He was surprised by what some of the circle makers he spoke to for the study had to say regarding high strangeness events that they too experience surrounding their circle-making activities, including the very strange and unexplainable compulsion they often felt to go out to the fields in the first place. These circle-makers reported to Colin that at times these incredibly elaborate designs would come into their minds at the most random moments, seemingly out of nowhere, just sudden inspirations followed by the compulsion to just drive until they found the perfect spot. As one maker told Colin, he stopped when it felt right. 
And that feeling of rightness is seen with numerous circle makers. The location, the timing of the circle making event, the design, whether to create one or not, all has to feel right. And they've also reported unusual and sometimes frightening high strangeness occurring in the fields during the event, like seeing unexplainable orbs or anomalous lights from an unexplainable source, uh, elasticity of time somehow allowing them to complete their designs, fog coverings rolling in out of nowhere that camouflage their activities, encounters with shadowy beings, and creating incredibly specific designs on an inspired whim, only to later confirm that it matched a crop circle request someone had made or had a special meaning to them, such as Colin's own experience requesting something unique and then receiving it. And if you've made it this far, and you are in the camp of folks who consider high strangeness events to be indicative of real circles, and you accept that high strangeness occurs in man-made circles as well, and that even the circle makers themselves are being affected in inexplicable ways, you too might start to understand why Mr. Andrews arrived where he did. So, here at the end... (laughs) (laughs) Let's do a recap of all that we have learned. Crop circles can contain incredibly unique and precise features, some of which are scientifically hard to explain. Anomalous, synchronistic, and paranormal phenomena occurs in and around them. High strangeness events are experienced by those who interact with them, period, whether making or witnessing. The government, historically, didn't seem to want people believing there was anything to them. Studies have been funded to further explore them. Skepticism and discrediting has been and is abundant. Circles have literally changed people's lives. All of them are indicative of intelligence. 80% are man-made and 20% remain in the mind of the topmost expert on them to be untouched by human hands. Mystery solved? No, not in the slightest. I chose to cover crop circles this season because in my limited knowledge of them, I was led to believe there was a distinct UFO and ET connection. And that may very well be true. I'm not saying that that it's not. But with the information I came across for these episodes... If we continue to equate crop circles with ET, that should really make us ponder our current definition of ET. Are they more than we thought? Are they actually responsible for some or at least the guiding of their creation somehow? Or is there something else going on, something far bigger, something synchronistic that connects us all along with the paranormal events that we experience, whether in our own lives or standing within the perimeter of a crop circle, high strangeness that we just can't understand yet because we do not have the right context. We might have an explanation before too long if the Gary Nolans and the Dave Grushes keep it coming. Until then, I am going to be thinking for some time on this, but that is a wrap for us today. Time for a final note. 
Thank you all so much for tuning in and putting up with my sickly voice over the last couple of episodes. <laughs> I know it's not easy to listen to me snorting my way through these uh, through these deep dives, but I, I, I do truly appreciate you tuning in, and I appreciate your patience with that. Man, I thought the rabbit hole would never end on crop circles, and it hasn't. And I had to leave a lot out in just two parts. There's, it's just not enough time to cover it all. There is so much more to learn with this topic, and I do encourage taking a look at the sources that I've included. No one wants to sit and listen to someone describe different formations. That just does not sound very fun. But if you find yourself in a bookstore or library soon and have the opportunity to flip through a book on crop circles, look at the pictures. That might be all that's needed to recognize just how special they are and to see just how people can become transfixed by these designs, how people can become so taken with them. You too might find yourself taken with them. Even for a skeptic, there is something kind of magical about the designs, no matter who made them. Now, I'm curious to know where you guys stand on crop circles. The phenomenon certainly has died down over the last few decades, but they still occur, far less frequently, but they pop up. So what are your thoughts on them? I am still contemplating that 80-20 split. I'll be contemplating that for a while. You know, 20% is a good amount of something. I understand that if we accept that human consciousness is some force behind the creation of crop circles, but 20% are showing no human architect, not one fingerprint of human involvement, who are we communicating with? Who's creating those? Is it extraterrestrial, ultra-terrestrial, or something we haven't even thought of yet? Also, just out of curiosity, what would be your first reaction if you were to stumble upon a crop circle unexpectedly? Hit me with them ideas and answers. I will shout them out on the show. Email them to me at paranormgirlpod at gmail.com or message me on all socials at paranormgirlpod. I appreciate the feedback and hearing from you. Before we go, we've got some patrons to shout out. Ms. Sarah Cox joined the higher education tier. Girl, you rock so hard. Thank you for supporting the show. Thank you for listening. I appreciate it so much. And Lily joined the researcher tier, making my heart sing over here, lady. I'm truly humbled by the support, guys. Enjoy the early access and exclusive content and the extra education. There were so many E's in that sentence, <laughs> and I meant every one. Final patron shout out is to Mr. Davezilla at davezilla.art on Instagram, one of the earliest friends of the show and very first patron of the show. You just made one year, my friend. Wow. Thank you for your continued support. I'm beyond grateful, everybody. All right, y'all. Use your connected human consciousness for good this week and go manifest the spectacular into your reality. No crop circles, though. It's, it's vandalism. <laughs> I don't think I stress that uh, at all. 
during these two parts, but it is, it's vandalism. And people have found themselves in legal trouble for making them. So go be spectacular, just be careful out there. I will see y'all back here Tuesday. Stay safe, keep the nightlight on, and sleep with one eye open. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.